0: The Rewatchables is brought to you by The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find, when is the Connect launch, Sean?
1: July 22nd.
0: July 22nd, Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion taking two movies, finding a similarity between them, and then just pontificating. And that one launches, you can subscribe to it right now. If you like movie podcasts, you've heard both of those guys on this one. We also launched launch the, uh, the Ringer Fantasy Football Show this week. One of the hosts, Craig Horlbeck. <laughs> Craig, pop on for one second. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Congrats! You have your own feed. It's great. You did Thank it you very much. Yeah, you I did it,
1: um, Craig. You did it. You shared bad takes about movies for two years, and now you yeah. got your own feed. That's all it takes, I guess. Wow.
0: I was going to say, people know you here from your terrible taste in movies, but you actually have good taste in fantasy that's a football. That's
1: what you're known for,
2: I thought. From the yeah. producers of <laughs> What Makes Fletch Funny comes <laughs> Who to Stop or Drop. <laughs> actually, did you guys see John Ham Fletch? That's happening.
0: Yeah, John, that's true. The Fletch remake with John Ham. I'll believe it when I see it. There's been a lot of uh, Fletch remakes. Anyway, coming up next, Batshiba! I Condemn You to Hell. The Conjuring. That's next. What are you guys? We've been called demonologists, paranormal researchers.
3: They've investigated the Amityville Horror and the Haunting in Connecticut. On July 19th, their most terrifying case. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. Begin. are July 19th.
0: All right, Sean Fantasy is here and Chris Ryan is here. We we've been doing the rewatchables here for over three years and We've only done a few horror movies. It's intentional because all three of us love horror movies. Like, I really love horror movies. I've actually told people I've seen every horror movie probably since 1978, And people think I'm kidding, but I'm not sure I am. I don't know when it's going to happen for the rewatchables where we just go on a run and 30 podcasts we do, 20 of them will be horror movies. But um, The Conjuring is a good one to dive into it because... When I was growing up, a young pup in New England, Massachusetts, Amityville Horror came out a year after Halloween. And my dad decided not to let me see it. But we were staying at the Cape in the summer of 1979, and he had seen it. And he told me there was this part how the babysitter got locked in the closet by the spirit and couldn't get out and was in this pitch black closet. And we're at the Cape and we're at the shed where we're getting balls. I went in to get uh, like a basketball and he locked the shed behind me. And he was like, it's like game horror. I was so scared. I almost (laughs) lost control of my bowels. It was the meanest thing he's ever done to me. And I was like, at some point I got to see this movie. And I finally saw it probably when I was like 11. And it's kind of the birth of the haunted house movie. I went, did research on this. There was some stuff in the, 40s, 50s, 60s, but the modern haunted house movie, Sean Fantasy, it kind of starts with the Amityville horror, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess you're, like you said, there's movies like The Innocence and there's stuff in the 60s that is a little bit more, I guess, elegant, but the mainstream horror haunted house movie, pro- I mean, it probably does start there. I have a personal connection to it too, because I grew up one town over from Amityville. I grew mm. up in on, on Huntington, Long Island, and Amityville is less than five minutes away by car. And so, you know, there's a high level of awareness. Oh, people are almost over the Amityville horror because it's just such a known thing on Long Island and it's so overexposed. But I, I didn't know that it was, you know, that this universe was all sort of, this movie that we're talking about was all based on, you know, this interconnectedness with the Warren family. I had
0: my uncle Rick, My mom's brother, he had the Animoville Horror book, and I remember thumbing through it before the movie came out, and it kind of was imprinted on my brain. It's the red cover, and it was just like, ah, what's this? Chris, would you call this a haunted house genre, or would you call this there's something wrong with the house genre?
2: Oh, I would definitely call it haunted, but I would say that The Conjuring, especially the first one in the franchise... Is so great because it almost acts as like an encyclopedia of horror movies, you know, both stylistically in terms of where it's drawing from some of the movies that you guys have mentioned already, like, like Amityville, but also, you know, Repulsion or The Haunting and some of more classic like 60s and 70s stuff. And then goes all the way up to and through found footage, which is what I think makes the end of this movie so effective is the fact that they're pulling from some of the stuff that horror movies had a revival off the back of, I guess in the 2000s or whenever paranormal activity was really popping off. And and really like uses a lot of these more modern mo- modern innovations. So when I was a kid in the
0: late 70s, The Exorcist had been out for a few years was the most terrifying horror movie ever made and also the most successful. And that whole demon possession thing, they tried it a whole bunch of different ways. Damien Oman happened, all that stuff. 79, Amityville Horror comes out. 1980, The Changeling. 1982, Poltergeist. And Poltergeist becomes a mammoth hit and a really important movie and, and important in the whole Spielberg framework of the stuff he's trying to do back then. Um and probably one of the most defining 1982 the the one of the biggest pop culture movies the genre kind of dies over the course of the later 80s and we we horror moves to the michael myers slasher the yeah. slasher this guy's going to kill everybody that kind of dies by the mid 90s and then we move into kind of the ironic teen-based horror movies where you get scream, scream. that yeah. sets off this whole thing then we get into remakes and for whatever reason, it doesn't really start coming back until 01. The Others comes out in 01. Um, 02, Juan the Drudge. Is that how you say it, Sean? The Grudge. Ju- Ju- Juan? How do you say the first yes. part though?
1: Yes, Yeah. Right
0: yeah. Then the Skeleton Key in 05. So now we're kind of dabbling back. But then Paranormal Activity comes out in 07. And that's off the heels of Blair Witch in 99. And now they're like, there's something wrong with the house found footage. Let's combine these two. And then that just has its own run. 2012 Sinister, I think, is when it flips again. Sinister 12, Conjuring 13 does it the best. And now you can tell from the Netflix algorithm, the algorithm is clearly spitting out, there's something wrong with the house, just make more of those. And there has to be more movies made in the last eight years just with that theme than I would say in all the years before, right, Sean?
1: Probably, but you know, there's a really specific reason why. These movies only have one set. (laughs) <laughs> They're cheap to make. You never the location scouting is you find a house in a small neighborhood somewhere, you rent that house out for 60 days, and you just make hell inside the house. It's a really smart thing to keep your budget down.
0: Yeah, that's gotta be less than I would say two, three million less. You could spend it on special effects. Chris, what's your
2: favorite thing about this genre? Um, I think it's the fact that the kind of people who are usually in horror movies and, and specifically haunted house movies rarely are really in are the subjects of movies otherwise, you know, and sometimes those characters aren't particularly well-developed, but for the most part, like you don't really get to see a ton of just like, yeah, it's just an ordinary family moving into a house in Rhode Island. Hopefully everything will work out. And, and that, that they would never be the subject of a movie. I think me and my wife watch horror movies like constantly. And one of the reasons why we're so drawn to them aside from the fact that like the terror involved in it kind of like just wakes you up on a sensory level is, is the setups. We always love the setups of these movies. Now I think the conjuring is pretty interesting because it deviates from uh, having one POV character or one POV group. Like it's more told in as like a magazine article or something like that, the way it cuts between uh, different POV characters. And it, it feels almost like nonfiction to its credit But yeah, I think that the reason why I'm drawn to these things is because the people living in those houses more than the houses themselves.
0: One of the reasons I love haunted house movies is because even a bad haunted house movie is still totally watchable. Yeah. You're always going to be identified with, I bought this house. There's something wrong with it. Like even the Ethan Hawke movie that just came out recently, which was not good. I still liked it. I enjoyed it. It's because you're always putting yourself in this situation of how far would I have to be pushed before I got the fuck out of there. Eddie Murphy was doing this on his, I think, his first comedy album. Comedian um, was did a whole riff about Amityville Horror and like what's wrong with white people Um, when white people have a haunted house. They're like, we've got to figure this out. And then he does a whole impression of like if a black family moved into Amityville Horror house, this ghost said, "Get out!" And they'd be like, "Okay, we'll see you guys later." And he gets out. (laughs) It's really funny. But this has been a 40-year thing, and yet we all kind of identify with that. All right, I just sunk all my money into this house. Yeah. I made this huge commitment. I'm going to try to talk myself into this. Yeah, that Ouija board we found in the attic. Uh.
2: Yeah. Did did our dog die a little early into our movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It was sort of weird that the dog bit it the first night at this house.
0: Oh, my God. My kids, we, we, we have an attic in our house, obviously. And a couple of times, some people have come up where, you know, the air conditioning went down or somebody had to go in the attic and the staircase thing came down. And my kids, I've just shown them too many horror movies. When that staircase to the attic comes down, they react like, what's up there?
1: What could happen? Do do, Do you and your kids still get scared by these movies? I do. Yeah.
0: I think part of it, like we watched The Conjuring Friday night. My wife was out. It was me and my two kids. Went in the back house from doing this podcast right now and I'm good stares around. Turn all the lights off. Turned it really loud because I think it has to be loud. And they've seen that movie, I would say at least 10 times each. I went to go get a beer at one point and, they, and 40 minutes in like, where are you going? Dad! <laughs> it was like one of those. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just going to get a beer I'm right back. And then Ben follows me out to make sure I'm not like ditching them. And I, I don't know. It, it's just something about it. What do you think... Is this the best haunted house movie ever made? start to finish
1: um I think it so I think it's the culmination I think what Chris was saying is is right, which is that it's drawing on 40 50 years of haunted house history and so it's the most it's the most competently made which seems like a, a shot at it but it's not it's like it's so steady it's so clear where you're going and I I was thinking about whether or not like I still get scared. Before we started, I, I told Craig why I like horror movies, which is that I'm dead inside and it takes a lot for me to feel something. And horror mm. movies really make me feel something. They make me feel something intense internally that I don't know how to deal with. And the same for the same reason that Ben got freaked out when you got a beer, I get freaked out when I'm sitting by myself on the couch watching a movie like this, even though you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pushing 40 years old. And I don't know if this the, I don't know if the term best necessarily applies, but this movie couldn't have happened without the 40 years of movies that came before it. And it feels like it's made by people that really get what makes these movies good. And that's, that's the reason that I like it, because it's not really innovative. It's not really, it doesn't really bring anything new to the idea of like who is haunted or why. It's just got great actors. It's got incredible production design. It's got incredible sound. It's got good scares. And you walk away from the end of it feeling like, I actually want to see more of this. I want to see more of this world which is that's how you know that you've you've drawn people in. And they they don't test the
2: logic of the movie that much. The whole point with horror movies is often that they are a little bit illogical, both the human behavior, like where you're like, "Why are you going into the basement when you heard something weird?" Like that is that is the 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 sort of core tension of a horror movie is people doing what they're not supposed to be doing, like what you were saying, Bill. But they they make it in such a way that you can kind of like understand like why these sort of like the, the sort of protection instincts of the characters come out. I mean, they don't spend a ton of time on Ed and Lorraine or uh, or Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor's characters in terms of like really fleshing them out. But you, when you have those two core sort of relationships at the center of the movie, you understand it. And all the stuff about Bathsheba and the cursed land and demons and how you can, you know, defeat demons, they kind of brush aside. You know, and and I think that that's sort of what at the core of the Conjuring is. There are still people who are like, but this might have been a hoax. So, there's
0: ghost movies and there's demon movies. When we talk haunted mm. house, right? And yeah, yeah I think yeah, it yeah. took a lot of movies to kind of discern the difference of it. And the Conjuring is very clear; like, this is about a demon. A demon is different than a ghost. Amityville Horror, they we, you know, nineteen seventy nine. I don't I don't think they had put a lot of thought into it. It was more like. These kids were murdered by their brother in the house. The gateway to hell was downstairs. As as always with these movies, the dog is the only one that really knows something's going on. The dog is always, <laughs> always the one that knows. But it was like, I'm still not sure if that was a demon or a ghost movie. And, I, and I'm not sure Amityville Horror knew either. I, I guess it's a demon movie. But we also have Jody the ghost, the little girl in that movie, who's playing with the little girl and all that stuff. So it's kind of like everything. Do you feel, Sean, that in the last 10 years, they almost have to make a demon versus ghost choice when they make these movies? Like, you have to be in one of the two lanes?
2: Can you just greenie tease demons versus ghosts? Coming up! (laughs) Demon or ghost? Sean Fennessy is going to join us next. Sean Uh, Fennessy is going to tell us why demons might have the upper hand on ghosts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) There should be a, there should be like a Batman versus Superman demon versus ghost movie in the conjuring universe. You know, that's what we need to see. We need to, we need to expand this universe even bigger. I think that, you know, demon just seems more evil. Ghost can be friendly. You hear ghost and you think, ah, maybe Casper. You hear demon and you're like, wow, they burned a fucking witch in Salem. And that witch is going to come and haunt you forever. And it's going to tear your soul apart and drag you straight to hell. And so it's just more intense. Um, I think ghosts you, have the, unfinished business.
2: Ghosts yes. have unfinished business. Do demons. you believe in ghosts? Me? Yeah. No. I 1000% do. <laughs> I believe in, <laughs> I, I definitely believe in like inexplicable evil. I don't believe that there is something in my closet though. What, what about demons? Um, I don't think so, but I think it's a get, interesting way to like assign meaning to the unexplainable.
0: I have a no comment on demons because if they exist, I don't want them to be like the nobody believes in us demons. You think that, <laughs> that Simmons guy, I didn't think we existed. Let's show him. You today. think, I you have think no you're comment. providing
2: bulletin board material? for
0: Wallach <laughs> yeah. the demon. I don't know. There might be a demon right now. watching me. I do believe think, in ghosts, though.
2: You think Belichick is a demon and he's just like, I saw that Simmons uh, doesn't believe in our existence. Yeah. Well, Got to go uh, get him tonight.
1: I mean, we know that demons are vengeful, you know, Pazuzu was vengeful. So you, I think Bill I think Bill has made a good choice. And Chris, I think you are absolutely screwed. Your whole house is gonna be a, a nightmare tonight.
2: <laughs> we're really uh we're missing a lot by not like animating our zooms and having like <laughs> demons
1: pop up <laughs> by me as I say that.
0: What would what would be the tipping point for you to back out of buying the house or to immediately put the house on the market? Just what, from a what, demon
1: perspective, or are we talking about like a shaky foundation?
0: From there's a, there's something wrong with this house. Like for me, it, and we'll get to it later, but it's like, oh, I didn't realize the cellar was here, this boarded up cellar. Hmm. And they go down there and open the boarded up cellar and weird shit immediately starts happening. I, I think I, I would, would be out it, at that point.
2: I would build into... Like the escrow contract that I expect all of my house pets to live for the first two months of my <laughs> right. living in the house. There's an inexplicable pet death. You're out. Yeah, okay. I'd say I'd say that's that's my thing. But yeah, like mystery seller is definitely up there.
0: Well, you know, this is this takes place in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is one of the few states, if not the only state, where you don't have to disclose anything that happened in the house when you buy it, like when demons? you sell it. it. Doesn't matter. You could. You could be selling the house because your uncle came and killed everyone in the family but you, and you're like, I don't think I'm going to sell this house now. It does not have to be <laughs> disclosed. If you buy a house in like, California, and it was like somebody died in the house, somebody killed themselves in the house, there was a murder in the
1: house, it could be 30 years ago. They still have to tell you. Do you guys usually check the demon filter on Redfin You know, when you're just <laughs> scanning real estate properties? I click demon and ghost.
2: I like to, but I like to put them, I like, turn them on. I like to buy the dip, yeah, yeah. you know? So like when I'm looking for a place, I'm like, how haunted is it? You know? Well,
0: that's, my kids, my kids wanted us to find a house that had a benevolent ghost. Mm. Not like a bad ghost, but a ghost that maybe like would slam a door, like some hijinks from the ghost, like the bathroom door would close. Are you looking for like
1: ghost grinder? Like, how do you find I, I don't ghost? know. I don't
0: know how you find that stuff, but I will say this. During the pandemic, the first two, three months, we're all trapped in the house. I kept sneaking up into Ben's room and closing his closing his bedroom door and then hiding in my closet. So he thought he had a ghost. And we thought it was the funniest thing. We had him going for six weeks and he was like freaked out. But then it was, it became not funny because he didn't want to be After in his room alone. six
2: weeks, well, it became not funny?
0: Eight, I did it probably seven times over the course of six weeks.
2: Bill, that's traumatizing. Well, that's it, what we do in our though? family. It's a your pandemic. Your dad did it to you, and you're yeah. doing it to your son. This
0: yeah. is like, and you will, and he will do it to his. I'm not positive he knows yet. My He's fun to put, my daughter can't handle it. Like, I wouldn't tease her about any of this stuff because she, you know, horror movies hit people differently. Like, she's like a scaredy cat person. I am a push me to the brink of losing control of my bowels kind of horror film person, right? I I've never been I've never watched a horror movie that I was like this is too much I can't take it.
1: Have you Sean? Uh I mean I I've watched horror movies that are so brutal that you want to you know like The Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave or Cannibal Holocaust. There's this like extre- extremity version of horror that I think there are things about it that I think are interesting, but that I don't think are fun to watch in terms of pure fear. That's actually a really good question. Like, what's the most scared I've ever been in a movie? I will say in recent years, one of the most intense fear, fear moments I had in a movie theater was The Conjuring 2, which I think is genuinely excellent um, and arguably better than the first one. And the the opening, the kind of like the haunted house setup there and the old man, I was like, that fucked me up.
2: Chris. Yeah. I- I think uh, I'm I'm not a super big uh, torture porn guy. Me neither. Uh, so I don't love like the hostile movies, um, and even James Wan's earlier series, or, or you know, the, for at least the first one, Saw. I respect Saw for being such a huge franchise and stuff, and, and definitely saw the first one in the theater, but did not feel like compelled to watch Carrie Elwes like saw his arm off again, ever again. I think he does that right, his foot. Um. So yeah, usually with the body stuff, I'm I'm like a hard pass. But actually, like, I I prefer this, like, like I, I, like, search the feeling of being scared like a high now, I think. And so much of horror, like, your enjoyment of it, and it's been interesting to watch them during quarantine because different movies play on different anxieties and fears. But, like, my scariest movie-watching experiences have always been pretty, like the oddball one, like the time me and my roommates in Boston watched Texas Chainsaw on like a VHS tape at like two in the morning. We were like, wait, hey, should we start Texas Chainsaw after a night out? And then we like sat there until 3.30 and we're just like, well, I'm not going to sleep for a week. Yeah. That's like the most scared I've ever been in my life.
1: What's your scariest, Bill?
2: Well, I, I
0: think there's different genres, right? I don't feel like the Saw hostile... Genre is necessarily horror. I, I think it's almost more like the torture porn thing that that Chris was talking about. And then you have like, like, is what lies beneath a horror movie or is it like a thriller? Supernatural
1: is, thriller, yeah.
0: We argued about this during the Silence of the Lambs podcast. Is that a horror movie or a thriller? Like, I don't necessarily feel that's a true horror movie, even though it has some of the scariest scenes I can ever remember seeing in a movie but i don't feel like that's a horror movie so it's almost like slasher killer serial killer types haunted house types like those to me are pure horror like this movie we're going to talk about it a little bit but was so scary they made it an r rating and the producers appealed and they were like no it, i mean there's we're not violating there's not gore there's not sex like why is this an r and the and the ratings people were like it's too scary. It has to be an R. It can. This cannot be a PG thirteen. You did g- too good of a job making a scary movie. Like to me, that's a true horror
1: movie. I usually apply a pretty broad definition to it. Like I did a a gimmick on the site a couple of years ago called the Horror Oscars, where I picked what I thought was the best horror movie of every year since I think it was from since the early seventies, and I did put Silence of the I did have Silence of the Lambs win in nineteen ninety one. And I do think that it's like, I think there's a difference between a horror movie and a scary movie, you know? And you're what you're describing, Bill, I think of as scary movies. And I think of Silence of the Lam- I think of horror in a slightly broader definition, which is like, is it horrifying? Is what's happening in the movie kind of like antisocial, un- like bent, disturbing in a way? And does it is it outside of the, you know, the decency of modern society? That's like how I think of horror as opposed to is there a ghost am i ter- am i scared of an actual, you know, demonic possession or something like that. But I think like that's a personal choice in a lot of ways, you know, like how you are how you define horror. Yeah. Well, you know,
0: it's it's we have two different ways to enjoy a horror movie, right? The home experience, which has gotten so much better over the last 10-11 years cuz the TV's got better stare us around, all that stuff. But seeing a scary movie in the movie theater if it's the right movie theater can still be great. Like, I remember we saw Drag Me to Hell in a movie theater and it was a packed house on a Friday night. And that movie's fucking scary. I have that like in my top 10. And the theater was scared. And that's a different kind of scary. We talked about this when we did the Blair Witch podcast. I saw that in Cambridge first night it came out, but nobody knew if it was real or not. And it was like just this dead silence at the end of the movie where it's like, was that real? What the fuck just happened? Yeah. Um, I think as people get more and more used to seeing stuff at home, and also like how annoying sometimes it is to be in a movie theater and somebody, the guy three seats down from you is on his fucking phone, like during one of the scariest parts and the phone glares showing and stuff like that. It's actually probably more intimate to be at home. But I think for, you asked me what my scariest movie ever was. Um, I, I think different ones have scared me in different ways. I think the most scared I've probably been in the theater was The Shining. 'cause i was the i I was basically not much older than the little kid the ultimately I'm seeing this with my dad, a dad's trying to kill his little kid um and just how it kind of led to it and how unsettling that movie is. I tend to have problems more with the unsettling horror movies that leave you kind of just feeling weird after does that make sense
1: yeah 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 i i you you mentioned drag me to hell, which is like um I also had one of my best ever movie-going experiences of seeing that movie. I saw it at the Court Street Theater in Brooklyn, packed house, same thing like you're describing. And it's a slightly different version, I think, of what The Shining does, and even to some extent what The Conjuring does, which is that's like a so scary you laugh at the end of the scare moment, you know, where you're like, I can't believe how they got me, how they fucked with me. The Conjuring movies, though, and especially The Shining, you don't, there's no laugh. There's no like... Oh, I see what they did, or they really messed with me there. There is something a little bit more unnerving in in that experience, which I, I love that too. I love both of those.
2: One of the big biggest thing that's happened in the last you know eight eight years or so is as the streaming services have really built up their libraries too, is the phenomenon of coming across horror movies that you never heard heard of before. Now that that had happened before, like I would say, the scariest, the most scared I have ever been at like a single th- scare is in Exorcist 3 oh Um, yeah I saw that in the theater too that has that great one minute thing yeah and I had not I don't even know if I had I'm sure I'd seen Exorcist by then but I hadn't seen 2 I don't know why I was watching Exorcist 3 and I remember just being like I need to turn every light in this house on and like chill the hell out that can happen now. Like you can could just kind of be like moving around on Netflix or Shutter or iTunes and just like kind of perusing and then you hit on something that you've never heard of. And I think that that is actually a whole other level of getting terrified because if you're not going into it being like, well, Patrick Wilson's going to live, right? Or this is a big movie and I saw the trailer and I kind of know some of the beats. If you just go into a horror movie pretty cold, that's like the best feeling because that's like, I actually did that with Texas and I was like, this movie should be fucking illegal. Like, why are we like, how is this like available to people to watch? Right.
0: Well, I,
2: I still have Halloween as my best ever
0: for influential. Um, how genuinely scary some parts of it is, how it still holds up 42 years later. I, it's at least the Bill Russell of horror movies, like it's just an undeniable resume. But I think, when you talk about movies from the last 15 years and the advancements we've had with certain ways to make something scary, you know, like drag me to hell is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just, there's some great, we, we, they had a lot of tricks at that point that they could use and, you know, things popping up and CGI and all kinds of stuff. And it was just a relentless movie. I don't really know why it kind of died off. Like it's amazing to me there haven't been five sequels of that movie.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it did fairly well. I mean, it's from Sam Raimi, who yeah. made the Evil Dead movies, who's you know one of the one of the greats, who understands horror better than anybody. But I, you know, I think it was purposefully modest and and standalone, and it worked really well. You know, moments are tricky, Chris. I think a lot of people say that that Exorcist three moment might be the scariest single moment in movie history. I've heard people say that in the past. There have been a few in this century. Like, I don't know if you guys ever saw Audition but it's a, you know, a Japanese horror movie. And, you know, the movie itself is very unnerving, but there's a moment when something happens in a living room. There's a bag in the living room and something happens with the bag. (laughs) And when that moment happened, I was like, this is the most fucked thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's that's really what I live for is those, like, I never could have conceived that this is where this was going. And this kind of like ripped my guts out for one minute. Um, But, you know, I think... It's so funny. I feel like it's the the conjuring is really the opposite of a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Like it's actually it's actually not original, but it doesn't, it doesn't suffer for that. You know, it, it really it's paying homage.
2: And another interesting thing about the conjuring, and I, you know, I, I think it it might speak to its popularity and the franchise itself. I mean, part of the reason why I think it's popular is it's very good. Another reason is because no one else is really doing what this movie is doing, and what this movie is doing is clearly something people want. But for the most part, when you watch these movies, even the extended universe to some extent, these are movies without sin. And that is pretty different than the horror movies that I grew up on, which was like people being punished for being horny or for being mean or being bullies like a lot or or the villain or the entity that was doing all the punishment was actually traumatized at some point in their lives. And that's why Jason or. Michael or even find out about Freddy in the third nightmare movie and like what like his whole backstory and you're just like Jesus Christ this is so dark but like all the movies that I grew up on were like if you have sex at summer camp you will get your fucking head cut off and this is not that conjuring is like two really wholesome couples trying to make it with their families confronted with an unimaginable evil who come together to defeat that evil at least momentarily
1: so, Bill, let me ask you this. Since you've seen this movie a lot and your family loves this, these movies, do you think of this movie as a religious film, as a Christian movie? So, I don't. I
0: think of it as purely there's something wrong with the house. And The Nun is super religious. It, in fact, probably a little too much. And that that's where I'm kind of a little bit out. I think Damien Omen has, I still think the original Damien Omen is one of the greats. Um, but that kind of dives into the religious stuff too. I like the idea of a little kid just being born and being the Antichrist, like great, just great premise. You could explain that in a room in five minutes, but um, yeah, I don't feel like this is, relig-
1: do you feel like it's religious? Well, I, it's unusual for, in the especially in the 21st century, for two characters like Ed and Lorraine Warren to just be so openly faithful mm-hmm. as characters and that to be a big part of, their power and the reason that they're doing what they're doing, you know, this kind of ghost busting that they're doing. But it is set, is really in, the, bo- it is set in the early 70s, though, and maybe that makes it more
0: sense back then.
1: It is. It is. And I think that's part of it, too, is that like they almost it it doesn't get um, not that there's anything wrong with it being Christian either way. It's just it's unusual for that to be the case. And I think it being a period piece kind of alleviates some of the, the question marks around that. And it being based on a true story alleviates some of the question marks around that. But You know, if you look back at horror movies, certainly there are priests and there are conversations about God and the devil, but there are very few movies. I mean, this movie ends with that, you know, that end cap, that little epilogue that's like, you know, God is real and so is the devil. Yeah. Whichever way you choose defines your life and defines how the world will be. And that's a pretty strong statement of faith um it's it's so it's it's just kind of interesting to see the movie through that lens i don't i I never hadn't really thought about it too much until i started going around reading about how people responded to it when it first came out
2: that same thing goes for the 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 evil in this movie too right sean like it's like bathsheba does not have like there's not a lot of ambiguity about her story (laughs) she's just like she's she's just satanic witch yeah Yeah. (laughs) right right so it's it's like you don't have to like spend a lot of time being like ah I had a tough childhood, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like maybe he just doesn't like babysitters. I don't know. I, I had this in what
0: stage is the best, but I'll just do it now. They, when he kind of lays out what's really going on with the demon and he's like, there's three, there's three stages.
3: Which brings us to the three stages of demonic activity. Infestation, oppression, and possession. The infestation, that's, that's the whispering, the footsteps, the feeling of another presence,
0: which ultimately grows into oppression. The second stage, Now, this is where the victim, and it's usually the one who's the most psychologically vulnerable, is targeted specifically by an external force. Breaks the victim down, crushes their will, and once in a weakened state, leads them to the third and final stage, possession. Feels like we're in the oppression stage. We get to possession, it's over. We get, we got, you know, he's breaking it down like he's Tony Romo in the fourth quarter of like an AFC title game or something. But, uh, <laughs> but infestation, oppression, possession. Once somebody starts dropping that in a movie casually, I get scared. Like I get scared by stuff like that more than anything. We're just like, oh fuck, man, you don't
2: want to get out of the oppression stage. Yeah, you want to there's, stay. There, there's in, no in- last stage. Hopefully just staying in an infestation before you can offload it, you know? So this movie, um,
0: the producer, Tony DeRosa Grund, tried to get it made for 14 years. There was a six-studio bidding war at some point in 2009 range, went in a turnaround again, and then finally it ended up happening. And now we have The Conjuring. The Conjuring 2 came out in 2016. Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It is coming out, it uh, looks like The Fall. That's awesome. It just year. got
1: moved. It just got moved. To, to 21? To next June. Okay, yeah, there
0: you go. Um, three films about the Annabelle doll have been made. I've
1: mm-hmm.
0: seen all of them. Annabelle, uh, Annabelle Creation, and then Annabelle Comes Home. And then The Nun in 2018, that also happened. And then apparently The Crooked Man, um, which is also in this universe. So we are now looking at eight movies in the Conjuring universe in the span of nine years.
2: And Dragman of Hell just dropped the ball. You may... Bad job by Dragman of Hell. your Your mileage might vary with any of the sequels and the offshoots of this franchise. But the way that they set it up is so ingenious. To just have that house with the room of horrors. And just be like, any one of these artifacts could literally just be its own movie. And you don't actually... You can watch all of them and try to piece together some of the mythology but it's not really that heavy-handed like you can kind of make your way through the nun and not know about conjuring 2 or whatever and it's just it's just really 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 smart like i haven't seen someone w- usually when people try and start like a series of films are like here's like this canon that we always have to adhere to and like here are all the building blocks that have to go in the exact right place they can make the samurai movie you know or the wedding dress movie or the the monkey clapping the symbols movie if they want to and like, I w- I w- I'll go watch them. It
0: has the great, The Conjuring has that great premise of, here's this locked room. There's some bad stuff in that room. But we're going to lock it. It's fine. But if you end up in this room, it's fuck. It's going to be fucking terrible for you. It's going to be just <laughs> the worst. Don't go in this room. And yet, every movie, some someone ends up in that room somehow.
1: I think that's what, why Annabelle Comes Home works really well is because yeah. they spend a lot of time in that room. And it it's it's really entertaining. I will say, though, this movie gets away with doing a lot of the things, and this universe gets away with doing a lot of the things that we kind of blame other expanded universes on. You know, we say, like, oh, superhero movies are so cynical because they're always trying to connect the dots from one movie to the other. You know, this is really the most successful original movie franchise of the last 20 years. And it uses all the same strategies, you know, like the infinity stones in the Marvel movies are basically the same thing as that locked room. You know, it's like, how can we use one stone to tell to do one movie and use another stone to do another? And these movies do the same thing, but they don't feel, it doesn't feel as crass somehow. And the movies all have, like Chris said, they're all their own little tiny experience and you don't need to understand how they all fit together to enjoy them. I wonder if five or 10 years from now we will still feel that way. They've had a good seven year run.
2: I think that if they want to keep this franchise going, and I, we're going to probably talk about this in, in the uh, categories, they're going to need to like, change gears in terms of, of some of the tonal things that they do. I mean, let's be honest. like If you've watched all these movies, you have watched probably a, cum- a cumulative hour of people trying to get indoors. <laughs> that is like literally like the scariest thing that happens in these movies is a guy be like this door's locked open the door open the door and then like they always kick it open and the kid is fine or the kid is hang like you know up in the air or whatever but like that is like they, they need to probably like mix up the the scares a little bit Chris when Sean finally buys a house you and <laughs> um, I have to figure
1: out how to sneak in there and pull some shit with the house freak him out okay uh, the reason I haven't bought a house is because they've all been haunted. <laughs> Every house I've seen has been fucking haunted. You're like, what's
2: that rancid meat smell again? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Is that the rancid spell of a demon?
0: Um, twenty million dollar budget for this movie had the highest opening weekend ever for a horror movie. Forty one point nine. Um, it made three hundred and nineteen million dollars on a twenty million dollar
1: budget. Can I just talk about this very quickly? Yeah. I think this movie's re- made really well and we really like it, which is why we're talking about it. But I think it got very lucky because it landed in a month in 2013 where these were the big movies that were released. Despicable Me 2, The Lone Ranger, The Way Way Back, Grown Ups 2, Pacific Rim, Turbo, R.I.P.D., and The Wolverine. That is a bunch of stuff that is made for kids. And there were not a lot of movies for adults. The only other movie that was made really for adults that was released that month was Fruitvale Station, which only opened on a much smaller number of theaters. And so this movie, like, it got very lucky by being able to lean into an adult audience, a date night audience that was like, what are we going to do tonight in this idle night in July or this, this hot afternoon in July? And so I think the reason why we're talking about the eight, Conjuring Universe movies is because it kind of landed softly into this perfect moment in, in in July. And so release dates really matter. I still have RIPD stock, by the way. It's tough. I have a tough follow-up one. point on that, but we're going to take a quick break. Hey, if you've
0: been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated you need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation. You'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. And if appropriate, a doctor will prescribe custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, no commitments, cancel anytime. Go to getroman.com slash rewatch to try out a three-month supply of nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor, your first order. Again, $5. Getroman.com slash rewatch eligibility requirements and additional terms to apply. So, Sean, you mentioned how The Conjuring came out and the timing was perfect, all that stuff. I'm always amazed and now I guess it'll never happen anymore with the stream universe, but I'm always amazed when like a month passes without a new horror movie. It, it's when I really, my entire life, the three most reliable things that were always going to work were a good horror movie, a good comedy and a good action movie. And if you could put out any of those three and and if it had been a while since the last one, even a couple months, It was just going to work. And I I remember when Taken came out in 2008 and, you know, Taken wasn't exactly an Academy Award winner, but there just hadn't been a movie like that in a while. And it's like, oh, that'll work. You just saw the ad. You're like, oh yeah, I'm ready for that. I haven't, haven't had one of those in a while. Don't you feel like horror is the ultimate example of that? Where it's like, ah, it's been a couple, couple months for me in a horror movie. I'm just ready for one. I don't understand
1: why they don't just come out every three weeks. I think they do though. I mean, I think that the, the story of quarantine is horror in a lot of ways because if the biggest movies at drive-ins of the last 3 months are The Wretched and Relic. Those are the two movies, I think both IFC movies, but I think both movies that you liked, right Bill? Um I thought Relic and, was excellent. Rel- Relic's great. And and The Invisible Man too, which went, you know, straight to VOD after only a few weeks in theaters and those are, are argue you know with the exception of maybe Troll's World Tour and, and the Spike Lee movie and maybe Judd's movie those are the those are some of the biggest most watched movies that we've had and i feel like because of the streaming thing that you're talking about there's they're easy to make they're cheap they're incredibly satisfying they're all usually somewhere between 85 and and 100 minutes and they just never expire. You know, they just don't, I, you never get sick of the premises. I'll, I'll watch like the hundredth, I watched a movie called Sea Fever earlier this year that is just another version of like the thing. It's the thing on a boat. And I was like, this is fine. This is good. For, for 89 minutes, I dug it. And I didn't feel bad about the five ninety nine dollars I spent.
2: I really liked Sea Fever and it, it didn't even need to be probably 60% as good as it was because I will watch the basement for a horror movie for me is so low like as long as there's just like some neural synapse firing of i am scared for a second i will watch the worst group of teenagers go on a snowboarding trip and then get stuck with like a werewolf like i don't care and (laughs) i think that's what you're kind of getting at bill is like there's a lot that you we you know obviously we've talked about some of the greatest movies ever made we talked about like our favorite films but there is a very basic like contract you enter into with just like, I just want to be entertained for about two hours and get out of the sun or go on a date. And like horror and and like you're saying, comedy and action for us, for the three of us, I think probably provide the most reliable experience at a movie than, than almost any other genre. I
0: would say out of all of those, horror is the one where if somebody recommends one to me that I trust, like Chris emailed me about that snowboarding, what's the name of that movie?
2: Which is in the woods.
0: Chris... Just text me that four weeks ago. He's like, hey, Witches in the Woods, pretty good. My family and I, we were watching it like three hours later. It was like, "This is (laughs) there's a horror movie that's pretty good? (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) That sounds great. Thank you for the recommendation. Whereas I told Chris to watch Inside Moves, and I I still feel like he hasn't watched it. So we know who trusts who in this situation. (laughs) Um, All right, so we're into the categories. I'm going to zip through this. Most rewatchable scene. The opening scene with the two girls is its pretty... It uh, just sets the tone. You did what?
3: She wanted to live with us by inhabiting the doll. We said yes. But then things got worse. <laughs> when we came home, she was sitting in the hallway. But we had left her in the spare room.
0: I think a D de- I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I think setting the tone with the opening scene in a horror movie is like weirdly over-important. Even Amityville horror just starts out with the guys like, you know, um, Jaws has the, the, uh, they take that girl down and the, the swimmer, you're like, you know, they're not going to kill her. Right. Boom. She's gone. Um, you could really set the premise in the right way. And I think it does in that scene. Um, I just, this is how I wrote this stuff down. Next one. Two girls freak out because someone is in the room. The two sisters.
3: What's going on? There was someone else in here. What? Where? By the door. It was behind the door. Honey, there's nothing in here. There's nobody
0: in here. Yeah. These movies, there's always that moment where somebody's like, wait a second. That's not right. What's going on in there? And then they realize, oh shit, shit's going down. <laughs> and then the movie is never the same after that. But I think nailing that scene is really important. They nailed it. Um, next one, I have Satan Lady on the dresser. When they see the mm-hmm. lady on the top of the dresser for the ba- ba- Shiba. Uh when she's just on the dresser, I'm out at that point. I'm just in the car driving to whatever the next town is. I'm nowhere near that house. Everybody. You're also
2: you're you're one dog down. And you've already had flocks of birds flying into the house. But yeah. you're like, hey, I'm going to go on my long haul trucking run. Two bad. Too bad, you know? bad sides. Next one. <laughs> Look what you made me
0: do.
1: Ed? Look what you made me do!
3: Ed! <laughs>
0: Ed! Personal favorite of my kids. Then, in my opinion, the best stretch. Where's Rory? I don't know. They moved the dresser. Hey, what's that hole in the wall? (laughs) That's where Rory hides when she's afraid. Oh, really? Goes in and it's a fucking, you know, inside the wall. There's this whole universe, basically. Um, Vera falls in the basement, Vera Farmiga. Little girl starts getting pulled around by all hell breaks loose for 10 minutes. I personally think that's the most rewatchable stretch. Then you have uh, Lorraine's kid goes into that secret room. And then finally, uh, the mom, Lily Taylor, gets legitimate possessed and we have the exorcism. What do you guys have for uh, most rewatchable scene or stretch?
2: I think it's the Nancy's hair raising scene because that and I don't I'm not even dorking out that is the sickest fucking shot in the whole (laughs) movie is when it's like Lily Taylor and Ron Livingston are standing in one room and they're fucking daughter comes flying across the room and hits that window. Yeah. And they both scramble and they like it goes into the other room like that feels like it's happening.
1: Scariest scene for me in the whole movie I don't think you mentioned is the the clapping game. You know, oh. where Lily Taylor <laughs> plays the clapping game with his her daughter and then you see the hands emerge from the the, the armoire and clap and you mm, realize good it's one. the ghost of Rory. That that really that when I saw the movie the movie is like, is, is very interesting because Chris, you, you described it as like a magazine article, which I think is so smart because it opens with that great scene that you were talking about, Bill, right at the top of the two girls. And then we cut to the the Warrens teaching a class. And then we get like a title card, you know, like in, like a prologue that explains who they are. And then we meet the family. And then when we meet the family, they're pulling up to this house and you get this big like Copacabana, like Goodfellas style single shot where the camera's following them all through the house. And you're like, wow, this is like actually a really well-made movie. It's like they've kind of gone up a level in in terms of horror. But it's not scary, really, for me until the clapping. The clapping, I was like, oh, this is fucked up. This is uh, this. They they really know what they're doing here. So that 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 is my favorite moment of the movie.
0: Chris, how many birds would have to attack your new house before you realize something wrong? (laughs) Like over 20?
2: No, I mean, what's the over under the bird over under is? two okay it's because it's like <laughs> one one is weird two is a fucking trend yeah like, what are we talking about I would, I, for me it's
0: three um okay what's age the best i have a lot of stuff here patrick wilson Vera farmiga i think are perfectly cast they're not too famous but they're really good actors we have a history with them they look different because they have their 70s kind of outfits on I think their parts of the wrong hands could go badly. Like in the nun, the two key parts, I just didn't think the priest and uh Vera Farmiga's daughter were the or sister were that good. Um, in this movie, they're actually really good and even a little bit overqualified for those parts. And everything they do in that movie compared to Ron Livingston, who we'll get into in what's age the worst, the way they're reacting to the room and the spirits and Like when Patrick Wilson actually gets scared near the end, you're like, oh shit, now he's scared, now I'm scared because that guy has seen everything and even he's alarmed. Uh, I think they're both really good and and they're both actors that I think the three of us have liked for a long time with the exception of her in The Departed when she fucks up the accent. But (laughs) everything else, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> They've just always solid in everything they do, and just really likable and and good. And it was good to see them in there. Anything to add on that?
1: I just, I love Vera Farmiga. She's a weirdo. Like her energy is really strange, and so she's perfectly cast for this movie. You need somebody who's like a little bit off, you know, who's a little bit like kooky cat lady talking to the spirits. And she just she has a look. Like I was reading reviews of the movie, and they, someone said that she's just a little too strange for mainstream movie stardom. And they meant it as a compliment. You know, that's when you know you're with somebody who's good. And like, it's cool that she found this part. I like Patrick Wilson too. He's doing like a very classical, like leading man thing though, where he has to just over explain everything in the movie. Like you pointed out the infestation and and um, oppression and then possession. So I dig him, I think he's good. But Vera Farmiga to me is she makes the movie.
2: Perfect tier of star for, for the lead roles because and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I'm like reading into this, but you can feel that these two performers are not like pulling James Wan aside and being like, you know, can I have like a scene where my character does something like offbeat or like gets into their own personal shit? It's just like, stand there, say this place is haunted and then like need at a prayer bracelet and we'll be good. Like this movie will work. If you want to make this into the acting Olympics, we're going to run into problems.
0: She was perfectly cast because she's like you could tell she was the type of girl in college who had the weird room with like you know like <laughs> incense and just like there was something creepy about her but it was kind big, of attractive at the same cur- time,
2: yeah, beaded curtain energy, yeah, oh yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, more would stage the best 1973 setting it in there. Makes the movie just timeless forever, right? It's a little like Almost Famous, how Almost Famous can never get old because it's set in a time. It's just trapped in that time, and they do a good job with that. I think the doll is really good. There's a story behind the doll where um, in real life it was a Raggedy Ann doll, and they decided it wasn't scary enough, so they put some time, energy, and an effort into making Annabelle seem creepier. They didn't and waste it the effort. Yeah. It's a
2: fucking terrifying
0: doll. It's a great job. I don't know where you would rank it against Chucky and Child's Play and a couple of the other great dolls, but it's, it's way up there. It's certainly a number one seed in the tournament. Um, I like when movies do this. There's one case so malevolent they kept it locked away, dot, 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 until now. Where it's like, oh, shit. You mean nobody knew about this until now? <laughs> <laughs> That's how scary this was, but they do the nice job with the card, uh, letting us know. I mentioned the uh, infestation, oppression, possession threesome. You never want to get to that third tier. Then this movie hits five horror movie rules. My kids and I, when we always watch horror movies, we always joke about the rules. When a rule's been violated or a rule pops up, one of them: uh, if you find a, ha- if you have, if you bought a house. And there's a secret crawl space in it that has a noose lying around. Get the fuck out. You're out. That's it. That's all I need. Secret crawl space plus noose, I'm out. Um, horror movie rule number two. The dog always fucking knows. Listen to the dog. If the dog... If you're like, hey, we're moving to the house. Sadie, what's wrong? Why won't Sadie come in the house? And Sadie's like, I'm not fucking going in there and has that look on her face. It's a red flag. And then if Sadie dies within six weeks... Six is like
1: fight. the
2: second night, or isn't second it? night,
1: whatever. Um, it's also not admit. explored at all. What the hell happened to the dog? Like, what? Who, yeah. What? Like, they're not like, oh, did like a you know, did some sort of mountain lion show up and kill? Like, how did it die? <laughs> Wouldn't you be like, this is the biggest crisis of our family in in the year nineteen seventy one or whenever it's happening? <laughs> they just moved
0: on really quick. So I think people cared about dogs way less back then. <laughs> Even in Amityville Horror. No, that's good. That's a good point, Bill. Now in the oh 70s, it's pre-peta. Yeah, that's right. No, Dogs true. are like like having a gerbil.
1: Um, you guys are pet pet monsters. Chris is on the record about this. I think he has a terrible hottest take about what an evil pet person he is.
2: I just had to run a run of cats in the 80s and 90s and we we kept it moving. Like I get it that cats have their own Instagram followings now, but like I think that Bill is right. There is a little bit of like a... A different relationship. Yeah, to house dogs pets. were dogs. So you let
0: the dog outside, the dog just ran around, it might have gotten hit by a car, whatever. You just get another dog. That's how people felt felt in the seventies. I'm telling you. Amityville Horror at the end of the movie, they're like, Hey, should we go back and get the dog? And Margot Kinner's like, No, fuck that. Let's get out. And then James <laughs> Brown's like, I gotta go get our dog. He's crazy. Let the dog go. Get
1: another dog. Get another chocolate lab. You'll be fine. I have three dogs. That's why by the way. these I'm people are haunted. This. That's why these guys are haunted. This family is haunted because they fucking didn't respect their dog's death. They deserved all this stuff. You're you don't even right. have a dog. This movie does have a sin. I grew up with dogs. What do I, I never had a dog before. I know about dogs. I was alive in the eighties. We didn't just like <laughs> let dogs get hit by cars and then go get ice cream. This isn't, that isn't how
2: the world works. <laughs> Sean just let the long Island out. I grew up with dogs. I tell me I don't know about dogs? I knew three dogs.
3: <laughs>
2: I've known uh, many dogs. Many people are saying I'm an exemplary dog owner.
0: (laughs) Many people. Uh, Another (laughs) horror movie rule I mentioned, the boarded up cellar where you're pulling off some plywood and all of a sudden there's this secret creepy cellar universe down there. Get the fuck out. Doesn't Ron
2: Livingston say, oh, cool, like more square footage? Yeah, he's like, (laughs) "Great,
0: Uh, we can put the TV down here. What's that? Get rid of the spider webs.
2: Yeah, all of a sudden now you're Bob Vila, but you didn't look into your fucking like who owned the house before you. (laughs) Another
0: horror movie rule. I don't think you should ever buy your house in a bank auction because that means something bad happened. But if you do, if, you, if it's the only way you can get a fair price, you got to make sure what happened to the last people before the bank auction. You can we have talk to about this sure. for a second? You have, t- to,
2: for- you, you have to find out what happened. This, is my point. this was in What's Aged the Worst for me, but I just think it's not like um, Ed and Lorraine had to go to like the Hall of Records or like the Indiana Jones warehouse to figure out what happened to this house. It's like the next day, they're like, so it turns out a witch named Bathsheba murdered her newborn <laughs> child and hung herself by this tree, but before she did that, cursed the entire land for eternity. And yeah. Ron is just like, I don't know, the guy down at uh, at Wells Fargo said it was <laughs> steel. So what do I know? It's just like, just do the, like, they didn't have Nexus. All they did was like go down to like, like the town hall for a second. Also, do they not have like a single neighbor within spitting distance of that place who would be been like, boy, you guys bought this house? Right. Holy shit. Watch out for your dog.
0: <laughs> I remember when my parents got divorced, my mom moved to Connecticut and I'd ride my little scooter around the neighborhood. I had like a little moped and there was this one house that had burned down and the people in it died. And for years it was just like boarded up. And I would drive the moped by it. And I would actually get scared just as I was going by the house. I'm like, oh my God, that house. And then somebody bought it. They fixed it up, made it super nice. And then like a year later, people were living there. And I thought that was like, I was like, Do they did they know? Did, did? And it was, they had to have known, right? The neighbors would have mentioned something to them. And if they didn't, that's kind of evil not to mention it, right? Like, hey man, you know what happened in this house, don't you? Like 10 years ago, dot, dot, dot. I'd wanna know is my point. <laughs> yeah.
1: What do you what's the move there though? Is it just to like keep that place closed forever, burn it to the ground? Can no one live in these homes again? I I'm I guess some it depends on the person.
0: I would be afraid to live in that house, but I believe in ghosts. People are gonna think I'm insane after this. Last <laughs> horror movie rule. When weird shit happens at the exact same time every night in the middle of the night. By like the eleventh time, something's going on. It's like, oh, it's three o seven. Oh, the grandfather clock fell over. Oh, today it's three o seven. Well, the microwave just started microwaving something. Like, yeah, something's also, going on.
2: Also, my wife is covered in bruises inexplicably. Yeah, that's a problem. Red flag. Dude, where'd you
0: get these bruises? Ah, my low on blood. Low, my low on. Uh, <laughs> Would you say low on, low on iron? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, Chris, you ever just wake up in the middle of the night with a lot of bruises on your body? <laughs> no. <laughs> No. You can tell when us. I, <laughs> it's just the three of us. When I finally saw Omnivore Horror,
0: if I woke up in the middle of the night just because I had to pee or get a drink or something and it was like 2.58 and I knew it was 17 minutes away until 3.15, the evil Omnivore Horror time, I would just lie in bed in complete fear until it got to 3.16. Grown up with horror movies, Chris. Chris is like, wow, Bill, I knew Bill was weird, but this is. No, gone. I like
2: it, though. I mean, like, I think that this is what builds a real horror fan. Like, I, I mean, like, I'm, yeah, I'm not judging you. I like fell in love with horror movies because my babysitter, when I was like a little kid, used to play a game where he would chase me around the house with a knife and pretend to be a killer. Like, that was like, that's where I'm coming from. So this is all I, I get it. I get everything you're saying.
1: We got to cancel that babysitter, Chris. How do we want to put that person's name (laughs) on the Well, I was going to say, a lot of people don't know. No,
2: no. No, A lot of people don't
0: know Ted Bundy was Chris's babysitter for like two years.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The question is whether or not like your interest in this stuff. Like I almost am going like, I'm zagging. I wish there was like an Airbnb, like a horror Airbnb. Like Uh. you can rent this cabin in the woods. There might be something weird happening here.
0: That's great. That sounds like that should be our next venture.
1: Now that yeah. now that we've brought the ringer to Spotify, uh, great idea. You want to start a, a haunted house Airbnb company? It's yes, great, great idea. <laughs> this is my okay. crs, my guy. Okay. You can
2: <laughs> buy them probably at a low price, right? Yeah, <laughs> like those places are boarded up. They've got Bathshebas all over the place. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bath- Airbnb Bathsheba. Uh, any nice. other? Any other what's age the best for you guys?
2: Uh the cinematic nostalgia. Like all the slow zooms, the fonts on the titles, all the stuff that kind of draws from like everything from The Exorcist and The Omen and Poltergeist, the you know, like just like little nods to other movies here and there like the static TV is the Poltergeist
1: um homage. It's just great. Sean, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about her, but Lily Taylor's just 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 perfectly cast. Perfectly. I mean, we can wait for the categories, but... Yeah, let's wait she's, for the categories. She's, she's, she's locked in. We're
0: going to take a quick break to talk about Blue Moon. Fellas, don't you think some once in a blue moon moments should happen more than once in a blue moon? Like getting together with friends you don't see all the time. A nice dinner, happy hour, relaxing night in. Maybe a rewatchables podcast about a horror movie. Blue Moon on a mission to celebrate and inspire more of those moments. Just like those looking for the special in the everyday blue moon. Takes a twist on the traditional Belgian wit. Where do you
2: stand on the Belgian, Chris? You're, you're high up there on the Belgians. It's up there, man. I like to keep them cold, keep them in the fridge, keep them stocked just in case, you know, I, I need to chill out after watching a, a brutal horror movie.
0: Did you know that Blue Moon was created during the 1995 baseball season at the Saint I recently found this out. What a, what a story. Coors Field, Denver, Colorado. Uh, did you know Blue Moon was named Blue Moon because someone was tasting it and said a beer this good only comes around once in a Blue Moon? Great title. I didn't know that. That's, that's great, great synergy. If there's Blue Moon in the fridge and you offer somebody a beer and they're like, sure, I'd love a beer. And you say, I have Blue Moon. And then you list two other beers. It's like a 99% chance they're going to opt for the Blue Moon. Right, Sean?
1: Absolutely. I'm a Blue
0: Moon guy. That's how I feel too. Well, the next time you're out with friends or just enjoying a net in, reach for a blue moon. It's the beer you can enjoy every day. You can have blue moon delivered by going to get.bluemoonbeer.com and finding delivery options near you. Blue moon, reach for the moon, celebrate responsibly. Blue moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado Ale. What's age the worst? I just wanted more from Ron Livingston. I don't know whether he was like, I'm scaling it back because it's 1973, but we just watched him in swingers and I loved him in swingers and he's so great in swingers. And in this movie, he's just kind of a helpless loser. It's like, you're the dad of the house. It's you and six women like step up, dude. You Why are you so helpless? Do anything. Fight. Out on Ron Livingston.
2: Just seems like are you a pushover. Are you out on the character or are you out on his performance? Like if it was John C. Riley doing the exact same thing. I, I'll save my answer for the recasting couch. Okay. I don't know whether they told him to play it like this
0: or he just played it incorrectly, but I just like, all right, how about this? Give me one sentence to explain the dad in this movie. Like, give me your favorite. Here's a trait of this guy in this movie. I don't even know what I would have. What are the traits?
2: Cool shirts.
1: I I have two questions about him. One, is he wearing a wig? Is that a wig? Because his hair is super weird. It's really weird. It's like a comb over or something. And two, I completely agree with everything you said, Bill. I think he's playing this so weird. He's like underplaying every moment. His wife is possessed by a demon and he's like, wait, no, don't go over there. Honey, are you OK? It's like, Ron, wake up, man. Your family is possessed. Yeah, that's why I
2: think the, like I was going to say the John C. Riley thing, but we, we can save it. But I, I just think that like if his whole deal is like I'm a long haul trucker who's gone for weeks at a time and I'm only like intermittently involved with this family. They needed to play that up. Really, the only bit mm. we really get about that is when he's like, oh, I got to get a job so that I can pay the insurance on this truck. And then there's one time where he's like coming back from a job just in time to get her out of the basement. But they should have just really played up to his absenteeism then. Or you go like John Hawks, make it seem like uh, this guy's
0: got a tiny bit of a dark side himself. Yeah. I wonder if they're yeah. going to get into it this movie. Like he seems a John little John Hawks seedy. is a great shout. Yeah. Um, casting what ifs. Couldn't find any. This movie was originally called the Warren Files, though,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then they uh, they flipped it.
2: I think best they made that, a good choice.
1: Yeah, best that guy.
2: I would have gone expecting a a movie about
1: Earl Warren. Yeah, can, can we? Can, but what is being conjured? Because I don't think that the title is accurate.
0: Hmm. I thought conjuring like you conjure, you bring out something, so you're conjuring like a, an like a evil spirit. spirit. Yeah, yeah, but the spirit showed up on its own. Well, maybe they maybe don't bust open the cell the boarded up cellar and let the spirit out. If okay. I learned a lesson uh. in this movie, it was that. Maybe maybe the plywood is in there for a reason. They're like, oh cool. Okay. A basement for the kids. Now that's Bathsheba's
1: place. Don't fuck with that, man. <laughs> then they should have called it like the plywood affair, you know? <laughs> don't don't bust the plywood. The Warren Files, is
0: that a better title for this movie? Warren Sapp's new podcast with Adam Lefko <laughs> or a eight-part narrative podcast series about Warren G.
1: <laughs> that's my that's my it's my private uh Patreon Warren Beatty podcast, actually. It's about every movie that Warren Beatty made. Or TJ
0: Warren's new players tribune podcast, the Warren Files. Yeah. Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants award. I'm going with Brad I don't even know who the fuck that guy is but anytime I see him now I'm like Brad
2: <laughs> I got uh two of the kids Joey King plays Christine and she wound up kind no of she's on. Joey she King yeah but like it back then she wasn't I mean Mackenzie Fair. Foy the same thing where she she goes on to play young Jessica Chastain and Interstellar and stuff like that
0: She's so going with every kid in the movie is that guy I, there's
2: I may mean, named two children there are five okay Vince and Hannah, give me all you You're got. You're going it. with Brad, but you can't name another movie Brad has been in. You mean John
0: Brotherton? <laughs> if I saw him in a movie, I'd think it's Brad. I'd get excited. Sean, uh, who won the Vince and Hannah, give me all you got over, award for overacting?
1: I it, Lily Taylor won it, but in a good way. This that's is like how it, that's honor- what I had
0: too. Lily Taylor, yes. but but thumbs up.
1: Yes, it's an honorable victory for for overacting because she's possessed, so she has to overact. If you underplay possession, you failed. Chris, agree?
2: Uh, I would would agree with that. I had an outside candidate was Joey King just because she gets the most freaked out by the ghosts or by the demon, but I think Lily Taylor wins it, but in a good way.
1: The biggest (laughs) giveaway of the movie is at the beginning when Lily Taylor is playing against type and she just seems really warm and normal and okay, and you're like, oh, she's fucked. There's no way that it's not going to be her who gets completely tortured by Bathsheba. I've never trusted Lily
0: Taylor in a movie ever. I always feel like her character is (laughs) going to get unhinged. What are you talking about? No, no, I'm just saying like, I always, I've just never prepared for her to be normal in a movie. I always feel like the wheels are going to come off in some way. Oh,
2: I think I, I mean like based on like say anything, I'm trying to think of like her other iconic roles. Yeah, exactly.
1: Based on say anything. (laughs) Just for life, I'm like,
0: you're getting weird in this. I know you are,
1: Lily Taylor. I know who you are. Yeah, yeah. She shot Andy Warhol, Chris. You know she's done some tough stuff. That's true.
0: The Brandy Booth Award for Best Performance by a Pet. Sadie, Sadie the dog. I gotta say, only five out of ten Chewies for me for this one. I wanted a little more. I wanted more fear. Just comparing her to the to the unbelievable performance by the dog in *Amityville Horror*, who's pawing at the gates of hell until his paws are bloody. Who who, just that dog has some great scenes in that movie. That was a ten out of ten. This is like a five out of ten for me. Dion Waiters award was tough. <laughs> I I gotta say I was at a loss. I couldn't even really figure out who won this one. Who, who did you guys have? Bathsheba. So I was gonna say that. I but is that weird that Bathsheba was? It's got to be it, right? I don't. Even yeah, know I mean, the other
2: candidates would be Brad and Drew, right?
0: Yeah, I like Bathsheba. Okay, recasting couch. Ron Livingston. This is turning into a self opera at this point, but I, here's my choice for the Ron Livingston role. John Ham, Hammy. <laughs> I'm going with Ham again. I think this would have been a great John Ham role. It could have been, had the big bushy sideburns, maybe looked like he'd had a, a few too many Marlboro Reds and a couple drinks, maybe looked like he'd been around the block a couple times. I, I think he would have done a little more with the part.
2: Only if when Ed and Lorraine showed up, John Ham was like, this is the not fucking around crew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, the guys who look like Ham are not long haul truckers, though. I mean, he's a little pretty to be a trucker, don't you think? Big sideburns,
0: yeah. Maybe like a ugly Fu Manchu thing, ugly him up a little bit. No. <laughs> what? Who? What about?
2: I, I think anybody who's who was on Deadwood could have played could have played uh, the Ron Livingston part. Titus Welliver. You know, we could have just mm. gone with any. Yeah. Bosh. Olafant would have been on the far reaches of attractiveness for the for the for the Livingston part.
0: I had one more that I thought would be really good, but he's a little obscure, but you guys will both know who it is. Chris Bauer. Oh, yeah. Mm. A.K.A. Frank Sabaka, because then I get there. Chris Bauer has that little side to her where he's also machined in 8 millimeter, and he's been in some dark roles where you're like, oh, is this guy on the up and up? Like, I, I just need more mystery with the dad other than the blank slate that was in Ron
1: Livingston. You just hit the Rewatchables bingo card of mentioning Machine from 8mm on a <laughs> podcast. Congratulations. Yeah. You laugh,
0: and you'll be laughing when Chris and I are doing 8mm in about four there weeks. There was
2: the- uh, Kill them all, like, Machine. The original category was like, would this be better with Danny Trejo? Are you going to start doing, would this be better if Machine had been in this movie? Chris, we could get five
0: minutes alone out of d Velvet. You know we could. Half-assed internet <laughs> research. Eight generations of families lived and died in the house before the parents moved in. Deaths included two documented suicides, a poisoning, the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl. Jesus. Two drownings and the passing of four men who froze to death. So that's the history of that house.
1: How many uh, dogs?
0: Didn't, don't have the dogs. Because again, nobody cared about dogs until like 1989. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. The production team built a 50-foot-tall tree for the film. Fake tree. Nice. I mentioned some of the other ones. Um, When the real-life parents visited the set location in North Carolina, they felt a cool wind whip through the set. They also noticed the intense sudden draft did not move or shake any trees. I'm calling bullshit on this. I think at some point the parents are like, let's, you know, they got to stay on brand. Be like, oh, man, did you see that doll move? No, didn't see that. Oh, yeah, moved. At the end of the movie... Lorraine Fear Farmiga gets off the phone tells Ed that the priest wants to discuss a case on Long Island you know what case that was Sean Amityville so I wonder could, could there be a Conjuring Amityville horror movie because the Warrens were involved
2: with the Amityville horror could you play that card it's like a reverse well that it's in the beginning of Conjuring 2 right they're they taught they it's like five that. minutes Yeah, yeah I wonder if there's a rights issue
1: Maybe. Mm. Yeah, do they even say Amityville in Conjuring 2? Does that, is that name used? I they th- say Long like Island. It is,
2: it's mentioned. I can't remember. And then I, I think three, they're moving into the 80s. Uh, so I don't think that it's gonna, they're going to go back to it.
0: The real Bathsheba, <laughs> suspected of witchcraft and of killing an infant child, but her name was legally cleared after being found not guilty. She died of natural causes in 1885, not by hanging. That's for real. She's
2: buried in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Bath Road trip. Bathsheba. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we know where the first Arabian Bathsheba is going to be. We we forgot one one moment, Bill, which is when when Vera Farmiga and 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 Patrick Wilson show up at the uh, house. and yeah. They're in the backyard, and then the 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 she sees the. Feet hanging down. Bathsheba hanging oh, from the tree. That that moment too. I forgot about that. That's an awesome one.
0: So Norma Sutcliffe and Gerald Helfrich bought the house. Lived there peacefully for 25 years. Conjuring comes out. House becomes a tourist attraction. They claim that vandalism happened. Threats of violence. Satanic cult stuff was placed at the house. And they decided to sue everybody. Not sure how that was resolved. But tough break for them. 25 peaceful years of The Conjuring House. And then uh, the movie comes out. <laughs> Apex Mountain. Here's the case for Patrick Wilson, who's been in some good movies. 2013 does this and the, the kind of borderline iconic uh, episode of Girls. Yes. Which was when that show just the ceiling came off on that show for just how weird it was going to get. But um, both of those things happened same year. I'm going to go yes for Patrick Wilson. And if the answer is no, tell me a better Patrick Wilson year.
1: I love Little Children. I think that's like his best work. But that's not Remember the question. That movie Kate Winslet? Most career yeah. chits. Did he get chits from The Conjuring?
2: Yeah, he's in every yeah. one of them now. He gets to be in all the sequels from Here but to he, Eternity. I, I, I mean, he was, I, I feel like in a weird way, he has not reaped the benefits of being in these franchises because he is an insidious too. I mean, he didn't like, he has not become like a huge, huge star because of this, right? Chris, are you still cranking out the watch? hmm You should have <laughs> yeah. him on the
0: watch. To talk about what? Just bring him on. Gr- to talk about girls?
2: Patrick Wilson. The, him am in my, horror movies. The whole thing. Yeah, bring him in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, what if, um,
2: i, I want to see if i've i've already got a request out to beth sheba and if she <laughs> says no i'll go patrick wilson
1: the funniest the funniest patrick wilson role ever is in 2018 he played a character in the movie aquaman who is known as the ocean master yeah. um also also directed by james wan who directed the conjuring um and it's not like it's not a good look and that's how you know that Patrick Wilson didn't, he didn't, I agree with Chris, he didn't reap the benefits of being in this huge franchise. He's just, it just means he's in in more franchise movies. He's in more Conjuring movies. He's in The Nun. He's in more insidious movies. I don't know. He didn't like level up. So you like the potential of Little uh, little Children. Yeah, Little Children 06. He's opposite Kate Winslet. The movie gets some some Oscar love, gets some attention. I don't know. Conjuring and Girls leads to Young Adult with Charlize, which I thought was really good, and he's
0: really mm-hmm. good in that movie. So, uh, Lily Taylor, it's hard to not say say anything. Was her apex just for me personally? But it definitely wasn't her apex. And I would say being the lead in a horror in a three hundred eighteen million dollar horror movie would have to be her apex mountain.
2: Right? Definitely was a you know Lily Taylor Renaissance because of this. I think yeah. brought it brought her back into consciousness. Haunted house movies.
1: Whoa. You think it is Apex Mountain for Haunted House movies? Sinister, then this,
0: and now it's like, okay, now we know what the next seven years are going to look like for movies. We're just going
1: to be getting more of these These work. That late 70s run though, I don't know. You know, you got like, The Exorcist isn't a Haunted House movie, but it kicks off that wave of movies that you talked about at the beginning of the show. Possession movies, yeah. Mo- yeah, those movies feel iconic to me. I don't know. That's a tough one.
2: That's a good good call, Bill. But I would almost give it to Insidious because I think Insidious paves the way for this. And then I don't necessarily think there's been like there's been a lot of them. But has there been a Haunted House like movie as big as The Conjuring since The Conjuring, other than The Conjuring Universe? Not really. No. The no. stuff that's been no. close, but not. Uh, Rhode Island. Well, some guys get their bodies dumped in Rhode Island in the beginning of The Departed. I'm trying to think.
0: There's been some patriot stuff in Rhode Island at the Foxy Lady. Some good patriot scandals.
1: Um, Is the question Rhode Island in movies, or is it in the history of Rhode Island? Rhode Island. There was a nice (laughs) URI. Rhode Island.
0: There was a URI March Madness run with Tom Garrick. That's right.
2: Patino at Providence was pretty good. Yeah, Patino at yeah. Providence
0: is good. Uh, Marvin Barnes had a nice run in the 70s there. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what the apex mountain of Providence was.
2: Uh, do you have any picking nits? Because I think we hit everything. Uh, I do. I have one, um, which is just that nobody dies. And I just feel like with the level of... Sadie demonic-
1: dies. What is wrong with right, you guys? You're
2: fucking monsters. For the level of demonic possession that we are dealing with here, I feel like one of Brad or Drew should probably bite it by the way. Yeah, then five kids. Race. They could get rid of well, they could have lost one of the five kids too. <laughs> Cause then this Brad, Then Br- Brad should have bit it. Brad was like the right there. They bit his face. He's just like randomly around. Like he's he's not he's not a full believer. All that stuff. And they they let it go. And I think if I had it, like one thing I'd like to ask for from my conjuring movies is a little bit of a higher body count. I mean Brad did get disfigured. He's fine.
1: He did. He did. So I have one nit. I'm not necessarily saying that this doesn't make sense, but I was hoping you guys could help me understand it a little bit. So near the end of the movie, when the Warrens tell the family to go to a motel to wait to get word for whether the exorcism is cleared by the Vatican. So the family leaves, and then the Warrens go back to their house. And at that time, Bathsheba is possessing Annabelle to potentially kill their daughter in their house. And so that's a distraction that Bathsheba sets to preoccupy the Warrens who get home just in time, conveniently. And then that's when Bathsheba decides to possess Lily Taylor's character. But earlier in the movie, they pointed out that it doesn't matter if you leave the house or not, that once the house is possessed, those things can follow you all over the place. So what was the point of going to the motel? Why did that happen? It's a great that's one. a great point. Also, how did Bathsheba move out of the house
0: to the Warren's house if she had to needed a vessel to go from point A to point B.
1: Yeah. What's up? The Conjuring is built on a faulty premise. Also, and that 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 whole motel
2: scene is just another uh brick from Livingston's character. We're just like, "Oh, oh yeah. I know this is the most traumatic thing that any family's ever experienced, but I'm just going to make a quick run to Publix." <laughs> 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 Need some cheese. Uh,
0: best quotes. We've mentioned a couple of them. I like when uh, Vera says, you have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one I'm most worried about because it's so hateful. Rarely do you hear the word hateful used correctly where it's like that spirit's fucking hateful. That's like, oh shit, really? It's bad. Uh, Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Sure. Sounds great. This specific film? Ben Simmons is nodding and said no. No, Ben Simmons is in the house
2: now. Multiple movies.
0: Yeah, Um, I'm just saying they could do it. I mean, they basically did do it with House and Haunted Hill two years ago, so we know that they can do haunted house TV, ten episode TV things. Any uh, unanswerable questions for you?
1: What's Bathsheba doing right now? (laughs) I I I have to call the Humane Society on both of you for your performance on this podcast. What's
2: what's Bathsheba's take on the bubble?
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's in Dwight Howard's room. Who won the movie for you guys?
2: (laughs) Lily Taylor. Really? Yeah, I think she's like the heart and soul of it. I, uh, other than James Wan, I think it was, it was uh, Lily Taylor.
1: I have uh, James Wan. I'm going from Vera formiga. She finally found her lane. Split decision. Wow. Split. All right, Ben Simmons is coming in. Hot mic. Come on coming in. up next!
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Ben, explain what you love about the Conjuring universe as a 12 and a half year old.
3: It's so terrifying. I couldn't sleep last night. I had to stay awake till three oh seven to make sure Bathsheba didn't get me.
0: <laughs> do you stay up till three oh seven sometimes? Yes. Is that why you wake up in the middle of the night?
3: Yes, because I'm so scared.
0: Do you think we did a good job with you showing you horror movies
2: by the time you were like six years old?
3: No. You
2: think so that was ben, a bad If you job? could do it all over, if you could do it all over again, you would rather have not seen all the horror movies your dad has shown you.
3: That's questionable because serial killer horror movies are different. They don't give me nightmares. House horror movies do.
0: Why do we love haunted house movies so much?
3: They're just scarier and better than a normal serial killer movie. Normal serial killer movies are kind of boring. Like take Halloween as example. The it, The same movie happens like eight times. But with house horror movies, a new thing happens. Like The Conjuring 1 was Bathsheba. Conjuring 2 was Bill Wilkins and Valak. And then the new Conjuring, we don't know what it's going to be about yet.
0: Well, and then we have three Annabelle movies. Yeah.
3: Annabelle's not my favorite.
0: Yeah, but you've still seen all of them. Yeah,
3: I've seen all of them. And you
0: like Curse of Larona.
3: Yeah, that's scary. I don't like Urban Legends because I think they're true.
0: Ben, do you think they should have cared more about the dog in this
2: movie?
3: Yes. Sadie yeah, should have Yeah, that longer. was a big
2: big complaint that we had was just like they just ignore the fact that the dog goes out on the second night.
3: Yeah, I was kind of upset about that. Sadie was the best character in the whole movie. Best actor. Very disappointed she died.
1: Hell yeah, Ben. That's exactly right. Thank you for saying so about Sadie. Ben, let me, can I just, I don't want to upset you, but you, you know, haunted house movies are scarier, you say, but haunted houses are not real and serial killers are real. So why do those movies not scare you? Uh,
3: it's kind of, because you never know with, you know, with serial killers that they can kill you, but you never know with, the ghosts that they can kill you too they can possess you they can use you as a vessel which is terrifying
0: are you more of a ghost guy or a demon
2: guy demon for scary yeah ways. yeah De- demons Got i to, think with where we arrived there too we were like demons are scarier because yeah. ghosts could be nice
3: yeah demons are so scary like the Bathsheba character terrifying i don't even let him mention her name
0: Wait, bef- Ben, before you go, can I tell you something? Yes. Remember when your bedroom door kept closing for like four weeks? Yeah. I was doing that. You're such
3: a dick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm never talking to you again.
3: I'm sorry.
0: Zoe <laughs> so, so loved it.
3: Oh. Uh, that
0: was great. He really thought that was happening. <laughs> uh yeah. So maybe maybe the lesson should be don't let your little kid watch horror movies. Even he's saying maybe this is a bad idea. I probably shouldn't have seen no. these. Great. It was worth it just for the bit. Yeah, an, right. an
2: incredible parenting audit on you today. <laughs> Thank
0: you. <laughs> um, so we'll probably do a few more horror movies because yeah. I like I like talking about these. We've never somehow never done Halloween. We've done The Shining. We've done Silence of the Lambs. We did Jaws, which isn't. The, but there, there's some more out there. Seven has been sitting there, and I think it was the 25th anniversary coming up. Uh, and two, what's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? We haven't Speaking done of that Serial one. killer movies. Yeah. Uh all right. Uh you can hear Sean on the big picture. Chris Ryan still cranking out the watch. And uh don't forget about the connect with Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion launching on uh Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And then uh and then Ringer Fantasy Football Show if you want to hear producer Craig. Uh, flexes muscles with the fantasy football season that may or may not be happening. Who knows? We'll we'll find out. Thanks for listening to Rewatchables. We will see you uh, next time around. And remember, if there's a secret cellar in your house that's boarded up, don't fucking go down, down there. Send the dog down first. Yeah, send, <laughs> send Sadie the dog down first. See you next time. <laughs>